pray. Lord, we are grateful for Your Son. And as we approach Christmas Day next Sunday, I pray that You'll prepare our hearts for the birth of Your Son. And we thank You for living this life for us and for dying the death that we deserve to die. And we thank You that You are returning. Uh, Yesterday I performed a wedding. I had the privilege of performing a wedding. And it's always a picture of really just a reminder of how you love the church, just how uh, the the husband is to love his wife as you love the church. And I'm reminded of Revelation 19 of the end of the Bible where it is a picture of a wedding where it says to let us rejoice and be glad for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready uh, for the bridegroom who is Christ. And I pray that we will make ourselves ready for you and your second coming and that we will prepare our hearts for you. And I pray that as next week approaches that we'll remember what you did as you lived this this life perfectly and you always put others' interest above ourselves. And that's just a picture for us to be reminded of as we are training to care for those who are going through crisis, who are going through sorrow, who are going through pain. And I pray that we will always look to you for guidance, for strength and wisdom. And I thank you that you've modeled the way for us and you've set the example. And I pray that we will follow your example as we love others above ourselves. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we talk about crisis theory and practice, as well as how to uh, do telecare, the next best thing to being there as we talk to our care receivers on the phone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so T8 is found. Okay, we'll start on 155 here. And the scripture passage is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Let me read it to us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So sand and rock. If you look with me at Roman numeral number one, I want to read this to us. We find out now and then that we have built a part of our lives on sand instead of rock. We might build our self-worth on beauty. We might build our self-worth on uh, self-understanding or a career which we pr- prepare for for years. We might even be building our, our lives on controlling our children and raising them right or having enough money in the bank. But we need to be reminded of this passage that Jesus is our rock, that He is our foundation. And really this is where our deep-seated beliefs are to come from and not from building our house upon sand on worthless idols or, or things that we put above God. It's so easy for us to, to put our lives and our interest on other things, like our kids or our jobs or our money or whatever it may be. But the point here is that we need to be reminded of, of who our foundation needs to rest upon, and that is on, on Jesus alone. And so that's why we wanted to start this lesson on, uh, as we talk about crisis theory and practice, we want to be reminded of our foundation and why we're doing what we're doing and building it upon rock and not sand. Um, and any thoughts from you as we read that passage? Or I know you've probably heard it before, but on building your foundation on Christ and 
building it upon a rock and not the sand. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's never too late, I would think. Right. If, if we build it on sand and we start learning and listening and mm-hmm. learning about God, I think mm-hmm. we can go to the rock. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. I wonder, too, if it's not just sort of a, a natural part of the course of Christian adulthood is that all of us at some time in our lives, even if it's not critical or severe, we experience our own sort of crisis. Like sometimes people will go through a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wonder if it's not a part of, it's something we can all relate to mm-hmm. as, so that as caregivers we can sometimes share with empathy our own story about when we faced a point, for example, when we realized that our career or our spouse or our whatever was was something that we were putting too much hope in or too much um, dependence on, you know, until the Lord mm-hmm. brought us through it. Kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Like, I think it's more normal. It's not just it's not just uh, something that a care receiver would would have need of working through, but it's something that seems like a very normal part of our mm-hmm. Christian sanctification. Right. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was interesting because I was reading a book um, by Pat Morley, the president of Man in the Mirror this week, and he was saying uh, a key time in people's lives is when they're going through crisis, a key time to minister to them. Mm-hmm. And not only minister to them, but to share the gospel. Because a lot of people don't see their need for Christ, uh, those that are, aren't believers. But when they go through crisis, that's when they begin to ask the big questions of life. They ask, why am I here? Why do I exist? Why am I going through this? And that's when they're more vulnerable. And so at times, even as Stephen ministers, we may place you with someone who is a non-believer or who is a new, you know, new believer who really just kind of needs somebody to help remind them of where they put their, their foundation on and who they believe in and why they're here. Um, but anyway, I found that interesting that... When we go through crisis, it, it kind of wakes us up and it helps us realize, oh, it's always, yeah. I got to focus on on the big picture. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's really, really, what's really, really important, right? And one thing, you know, thank God for grandmothers because hmm. they're really, uh, at least for me and uh, for most of the children in my hometown, uh, it was really the grandmothers who took the. Uh, kids to church mm-hmm. you know the parents are all busy with other things and you know and so uh, I'm when I'm a grandmother which is, I'm, I will probably be very old when I'm uh, I will be a grandmother because mm-hmm. my kids are not thinking of getting married or mm-hmm. having and I really would like to uh, uh, to do that for mm-hmm. my grandchildren you know mm-hmm. uh, Take them to church. That's great. Because that's that that was my foundation. At least mm-hmm. my yeah. grandparents taking you to church, uh, and that was your intro, uh, my introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was not that's my true. parents. I you know, my parents yeah. stayed. Yeah. My grandparents and my parents stayed. Mm-hmm. My mom went to one church. My dad the other one. She yeah. went to church on Saturday, and he went to church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so you got about <laughs> What? Mm. None of my grandparents took me to church yeah. one time. Mm. No, my, my grandparents my. read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they did yeah, that, they but they, uh, my parents did. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, it's the importance of grandparents and parents both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Passing the baton and teaching them the truths of the faith. Absolutely. Well, let's move forward to number two. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, two. Let's actually go on to number three because uh, number two is more of just sharing your experiences. And I just don't think we have a lot of time to get into that. I wish we could. But uh, let's go on to number three, the course of a crisis. If you look with me on page 157, there's a diagram that we're going to break down a little bit. I want to first start out by talking about letter A, the equilibrium or the equilibrium. Basically, this is before a crisis where the person feels fairly in control of his or her life. You know, things are going pretty well, things are smooth, and there's not a lot of crisis or or dilemma that they're facing. So that's where equilibrium is. Uh, Letter B is the precipitating event on page 155, letter B. The precipitating event is a disturbing event that threatens the person's equilibrium. Uh, It marks the the beginning of the time of a crisis. It it could have been building up for a while, but the precipitating event actually marks it when it begins, when the crisis begins. An example would be, for instance, if you're hearing about a job loss and you're thinking, I could potentially lose my job, but then the crisis is when it actually happens. You know, you, you may be preparing for it, but you just don't know when it's going to happen. But then all of a sudden, the precipitating event is, boom, the event. That's when it happens, when you lose your job. Or it could be a number of things. You lose your spouse. Another example would be, you know, your, your spouse has uh, got six weeks to live. So it's building up to it, but then the event is when your spouse actually passes. So those would be examples of the precipitating event. Letter C is a disequilibrium. This is where you see the changes brought on by the precipitating event as a threat to the person's values, to the person's lifestyles or relationships or even dreams. It may even cause them to withdraw into themselves. They could experience strong emotions and they they can even behave in ways that alienate others. Uh, So for example, you may have uh, someone who goes through a time of crisis where they lose a spouse and then they just are really struggling with how to handle it. And as a result, they, they begin to push people away because they say hurtful thing, uh, things that could be harmful because they're just so torn up about it that they can end up affecting those around them in a negative way. And so this is where disequilibrium uh, could happen. Um, if you look with me on focus note number one on page 55, 155, there are factors that contribute to the intensity of a crisis Will somebody read these factors out loud? The suddenness of the, of the uh, onset of the crisis, how healthy the person is, and the person's personality, how much self-esteem the person has, and how strong the person's sense of identity is. Okay. If you can continue on 156. Oh, whether the person has a strong reason for living and gives purpose and meaning for his or her life, whether the person has others to support him or her, such as family, friends, a Stephen minister, or another caregiver, how effective the person's support is, whether the person has uh, experienced similar crisis in the past, and learn how to cope with them, the severity of the crisis, uh, for example, losing a wallet versus losing one's home, uh, the person's relationship with God, uh, how much advanced preparation the person has had for the crisis, for example, attending pre-retirement or childbirth classes or having a chance to say goodbye to a loved one before he died. Uh, Whether the person has unresolved issues from the past, uh, for example, more difficulty grieving 
the recent death of a loved one because of never grieving another death in the past. Thank you, Malcolm. In other words, if you look at the, the diagram on 157, you see after the precipitating event happens, after the crisis occurs, the person is in a standstill. They're wondering, I could go one way or the other. You know, I could either, I could either go into complete depression or I could go into healing. Uh, basically greater brokenness or greater wholeness. And so this is the part of, of the, the diagram where we need to really focus on because this is right after it happens and then they're, they're shaken up and they're wondering, okay, why do I exist? You know, they're asking the big questions. They're looking at the big picture. And this is where Stephen Ministry is huge and essential because we come in around this time and we begin to assess, okay, what are the needs an example here is the severity of the crisis. What is the severity of the crisis? Did you just lose a wallet where you know you have to call off and cut off all your credit cards and, and uh, get a license and all that stuff? I mean, that, that can be devastating if you have several hundred dollars in there too. Um, but compare that to losing one's home. You know, there's a, there's a huge difference, right? <laughs> and so that's why a precipitating event could be losing a wallet. It's a, it's a crisis somebody's going through, but do they need a Stephen minister? Probably not. Uh, they may need something else, um, like a financial planner if they lose all their money or whatnot. But if they lose their home, if they lose their job, then they need a Stephen minister. And this is where the disequilibrium phase happens, where they begin to look at the crisis and say, okay, how severe is it? And how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my relationship with God and all that? So then after this happens, they then go into attempt tried and true solutions. They try uh, and find a solution to um, cover their pain or to help their pain. And this is letter D. And letter D is where people can't live with dis- disequilibrium for very long because they're in a standstill. They're wondering, okay, I've got to do something, but what do I do? And so they will either try to solve the crisis and deal with the precipitating event uh, by using useful tools or coping strategies uh, for example, they may try to um, cope with it by by solving it through something that has worked for them in the past. I'll give you an example. Um, a guy lost his wife recently. And so in the past, any time he was alone, he would try to cope with it by dating several different women. And so right after he's lost his wife, he didn't take time for healing or for mourning. He immediately jumped into another relationship. And then that didn't work, so he jumped into another one. And so he was trying to solve his problems by going back to another woman. That was how he was coping because that's what he did in his past. And so as you can see here, they're attempting solutions of solving their their problem without actually going through the time of healing. To turning to alcohol or drugs be another coping. Yeah, turning to alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What else could be examples that you would see? Where people could go back to their past and say, well, this worked for me then, so maybe it'll work for me now. Uh, binge spending or spending, <laughs> overspending, you know, wow. that could work. I returning to my job, I, uh-huh. you know, I, uh, when I, was, I had the divorce, I was so busy with two little kids and my mm-hmm. job. I was pretty new at my job. And I was still learning, and I was really <laughs> into my job, mm-hmm. you know. And I was, uh, I was blessed that my boss was a Christian, mm. and 
She was my Stephen minister. I really realize it now. That mm-hmm. lady was my Stephen minister. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, she asked me questions and uh, uh, things like that. And I was in charge of two little kids. Which I felt very guilty because it's like, uh, you know, uh, I did. I caused the thing that ha- uh, happened, the divorce, mm. and so I was busy with my uh, job. And during weekends, I s- devoted my ch- uh, time to my children. Mm. I never went out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great example, Glory. So, yeah. How yeah. work um, could be something that yes. you try to. Yes, mm-hmm. and, but it was, it was good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, therapeutic and uh, you know, my, my kids uh, I did not have any relatives around so it was just me and the kids mm. and their dad went out of uh, state mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was me right right <laughs> so, yeah because yeah. I went through that when I um, you know I was married to Kathy and uh, we got uh, separated you know and we got divorced and right after that just after you know Kathy wasn't was it nine months maybe a year later I was married again because mm-hmm. I just had to have somebody mm-hmm. I, I couldn't I couldn't and I couldn't couldn't go by myself mm-hmm. I had to have somebody mm-hmm. and that was a big mistake mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because she did the same identical thing that I did wow yeah yeah and that's a great example both of you had great examples because yeah. Flory's situation yeah. it was a uh, successful coping strategy for her you know to go into work and it, and it got her back into work and being productive and not only that but that's just what you needed at the time yeah. and it worked you know for malcolm that was that was a great example thank you for sharing that where it says here that in a major crisis where old coping strategies won't work and when they don't work the person begins to feel more threatened and then they face the fork in the road and so that's where it is on the diagram with the fork in the road. But that's what happens here with, with your example, which See, was good. Floyd's, it worked out well with me. No. Yeah, and this was a major crisis. Yes. Where you were going back to old coping strategies that didn't necessarily work for you at I that had time. To have somebody. I yeah. just had, yeah. to, had, to grab, had to have yeah. somebody. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but they're both um, medicating the issue. And if you never address the issues, that's when it's bad. So mm-hmm. if your coping strategy uh, blocks you from grieving or blocks you your healing process, mm-hmm. it can actually make it a lot worse right. all the way the rest of the way through your life That's because true. you never yeah. dealt with it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that did. Was, yeah, that was my healing process. I was never interested anyway in, in going out again mm-hmm. uh, because... My priority must my children. Mm-hmm. They are already statistics. I mean, they're saying that uh, bad kids come from uh, divorced family. They are mm-hmm. not going to be mm-hmm. the statistics mm-hmm. to me. You know, so mm-hmm. I devoted my time to them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a very good friend that went through um, a very painful loss of a spouse to cancer Mm -hmm. and uh, he basically dove his life into his kids and into work and that's all he would do Mm -hmm. 
and he took the hard line of never getting married again, mm-hmm. um, never dating anybody again, and so on. And um, he had a friend that went up there and he says, you know, I know you've had this horrible loss, um, but I have, and he was seeing a therapist, and he says, but I have this individual that's almost the mirror of you because she was extremely close to her husband and they died of a heart attack just like that Mm -hmm. and she can't get by it. Would you mind talking to her? Well, over the span of two years, they are now married. Mm -hmm. So they basically were the therapeutic relationship (laughs) for both of them to Mm -hmm. get past while I've got my blinders on, I don't need anybody. Well, are you sure you don't need anybody in your life other than your kids? But they waited two years, so they had some oh, time. Oh, it was, it was like four before oh, they got But they had married. time to heal and to... Yeah, heal. but their relationship was two years before they got married, and mm-hmm. it wasn't without rocky spots. Sure, but sure. Hmm. Well, if you look here on the diagram, 157 again... After they attempt the tried and true solutions, they face a fork in the road. And they either do one of two things. They go to the path of greater wholeness or they go to the path of greater brokenness. And if you look, there's some arrows in between the fork in the road. And and um, even before those arrows, right when the fork happens, there's a little pause that you can just kind of visualize. And the pause at the fork in the road is when your ministry, as a Stephen minister of listening, exploring feelings and prayer can make a very big difference. And that's when not only do you come in at the disequilibrium point, but really at the fork in the road is when it's essential for Stephen ministry because that's when you can come in and say, all right, let's look at what you've tried to do to solve this, uh, if you have tried anything, and let's see where that has led you. And not only that, but, but also take the time to listen, to explore their feelings, to let them mourn, to let them really wrestle with their pain and their agony of what they're going through. Let them be sorrowful. Um, and so that's where it's critical to get you all paired up with someone. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, it, it happens where they've already gone through half of the path of brokenness and then you jump in. Um, but we're really going to try to get you paired up with people at the fork in the road, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do is talk briefly about uh, letter F and G, the path to greater brokenness and the path of greater wholeness on page 156. The path of greater brokenness, let's talk there first, is the left side of the diagram here. And first off, when somebody experiences pain, they go through, um, they go through a stage first with denial, where they experience denial. What I mean by that is they try to ignore the problem and they avoid their need for change. Um, they try to ignore and suppress the pain they're feeling. An example is a person who doesn't grieve when they've lost a loved one. And I have a friend who is, a, who is in my wedding, a dear friend of mine. His father committed suicide about three years ago. And when I saw him, he, I said, how you doing, man? And he said, I'm great. I'm fine. And everybody was shocked. We thought, really? But see, he was going through denial because he didn't want to own up to, his, uh, to, to the reality of what he just experienced with his father. He didn't want to face the pain. Instead, he just wanted to ignore it and suppress it and suppress his feelings. I think later on he was able to go through it a little bit. But that was his initial reaction. 
if, if that makes this sense. Is three years later. No, no, no. This was three years ago when it happened, and it was oh, right at the right at, right at, at the time, time, at the fork in the road, pretty much. Right. And I saw that he was going down the path of greater brokenness, and you could see the denial in him, where he just said, "I'm fine. Things are good. Let's move on with life." You know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, buddy, <laughs> you just lost your father. You know, this is devastating to you. And um, anyway, that's just what people do often, is they try to cope by just denying it and ignoring it and moving on with life. I, I still say timing is the most critical piece. Mm-hmm. You say what? But timing. Timing. Time. Yeah. Because if you try to push them to the other side, you'll succeed in pushing them even faster down that road. Right. Because mm-hmm. if they're not ready and they're not receptive... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The quickest, it's kind of that reverse psychology they talk about with mm-hmm. kids. If you, if you want to motivate your kids and they're always no people, you tell mm-hmm. them no. Yeah. And the thing you tell them no to is the thing you really want them to do, so they'll just flip around and, oh, I'm going to do it in spite of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was interesting because timing was critical in this example because about two weeks later, I actually I didn't get to go to the funeral because it was back home. But my friends were telling me this this is how he reacted. And two weeks later, I went to went up there to visit him, and I got to visit him and sit down in his house for a couple hours. And and he was able to open up more then. But it was timing. You know, you don't want to force it and try to say, "Hey, man, you need to mourn. You need to," because <laughs> he he needed to just go through that denial phase. You know, for him during that time but he didn't need to go through that for very long if that makes sense I mean he needs somebody to walk alongside and say okay let's let's own up to this and and that's what he needed you know some people automatically it just kicks in where they're mourning and they go through that but. and I'm not sure as Americans if we know how to mourn very well it hmm. seems like as what now? as Americans it seems like some other cultures really have much more of a pattern yeah uh, that's accepted and okay even to wail Right. Cry. No, we don't tear our clothes like they do. No, seriously, but I think especially for men, it's, yeah. there, there's, there's this persona right. that you just... You have to be tough. You are tough you're and independent. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, for men. Yeah. So that's part of what we have to deal with. Yeah, we tend to be learning, strong on the outside and soft on the inside. <laughs> right, learning how to mourn. Yeah. But everybody mourns differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's... And that's where I think a lot of people mess up and stuff is when somebody's had a loss. You'll have some people that are just, you need to do, because like when my father passed away, my poor mother has is, is got about seven people that call. Well, you need to join a club and you need to do this and you need to do that. And they're calling every day. And they're just, yeah, do this and do this and do this. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And she's not like them. She doesn't view her life like they do. Mm-hmm. And so they're more destructive, but she has people that are on the other side that are more constructive. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think, uh, we're our own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. We tend to say, oh, what well, worked for me, it'll work for right. you. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody copes differently. You're that's exactly right. right. That's one thing I, I couldn't understand when uh, my dad died. Mm-hmm. Went to his funeral. My mom didn't shed a tear. Mm-hmm. Not a tear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That would be my married, even though they were divorced at the time. I mean, they actually get along better divorced than they were married. But she wouldn't shed a tear. That's one thing that really, you know. And I don't understand this. She was married him for 25 years. She's facing that. Four kids. Which path do I go on? Yeah. Yeah. She had four kids by him, and, and, you know. I don't know. See, just how some people. They cope differently. Yeah. And they react, really, would be a better word to say. They react differently. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this is interesting. This is good discussion. As we as we move forward, you first see that people are avoiding the problem and they need to change. The second way people try to handle their situation, their crisis, is they try to do it alone. Um, they and, and because of that, they end up hurting others when they express strong feelings and they even drop some of their social contacts. Because they just said, I don't need you, I'm handling this. See, and that's one thing I don't understand how, there's certain things like you have the death of a loved one or something. I mean, or or you go through a divorce, how can you handle it but on your own? You're going to have to handle it, you and God, God's going to have to be there. You're going to have to handle it, nobody else can handle it for you. Right. And say, I don't understand, but when when it says that, you attempted to handle it alone. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't handle people them. Do. They have to be God. Yeah. God has to help you. Mm-hmm. Another person can't help you, you know? Another person can, uh, through God. Yeah. I think you have to have God, absolutely, as your foundation. God, but that's why Stephen Ministry, and not only Stephen Ministry, but just friendship, somebody to come alongside of you. People who don't have God don't know who to turn to. Yeah, right there. That's Amen. true. I mean, that's it. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know what to do, you know? See, with uh, after my divorce, mm-hmm. I was really closer to God. Really? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I really turned to God. And he besides, my Stephen then. minister, which uh, was my boss, was very active in her church, really a Christian lady. Mm-hmm. And I think I was blessed to help her. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's and great. So, but you uh, had that somebody was with the you. the time when yeah. I introduced the kid. Well, I was mm. a Catholic then, and then I converted to uh, Baptist, and then we went to church. I went to my Sunday school. They went to their Sunday school, and I was received. Uh, you know, the ladies in the Sunday school really uh, were very friendly, mm. and so that was the start. Mm. Mm-hmm. So um, it was um, it was a turning point for me. Mm. Many times it is things like that. And Florian, I'm glad you brought that up because if you look on the opposite side of the diagram, Flory turned to others for assistance. You know, and that's what helped you on the path of greater wholeness. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But I'm glad you brought that up, Flory, because that really is the opposite of, of the path of greater brokenness. Because the goal is obviously wholeness, right, mm-hmm. on the right side, and we'll get to that. But let's, let's move a little bit on, um, move forward on this. The third part, so you have somebody who begins with denial. They ignore the problem. They end up hand, trying to handle it alone. And the third part here is that some people try to escape their unhappiness through compulsive behaviors, as we were just talking about in a minute ago, like binge buying. That puts them deeply into debt or overeating. You know, I know of people that just go straight to chocolate and they just eat. And that's how they Don't try like to... Don't chocolate. What's that? <laughs> Don't like chocolate. Don't like chocolate. <laughs> I love chocolate too. But <laughs> my, my wife would say, yeah, that's a coping, but that isn't going away. But you don't like chocolate. <laughs> I'm not a big chocolate person, but she would say, God invented chocolate. <laughs> I'm just using what God provided. Yeah. Or maybe not eating. Or not eating. 
Mm-hmm. That's a good one, yeah. That's my mother. She yeah. starves herself. So they work hard at inadequate solutions, in other words. Um, so that's the third thing they try to do. And, and now let me read these others. The others may decide that they don't deserve to be happy. Uh, they may live very passively or they may become in, uh, increasingly aggressive with their angry feelings always ready to boil over. So they may be passive. Uh, sooner or later, most of the people who choose the path of greater brokenness will have to choose again how they're going to deal with this crisis. And that's where you go into continued disequilibrium, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you notice funny. the, the uh, arrow goes back. All the way back. Yep. You have to do it again. <laughs> it's funny. you got to do it again. And it's funny. And you have to do it again. And right. what's me? What happened to me? I went and went down that, and I had to have somebody. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I had to do the whole thing all over again. Mm-hmm. Again. Yep. That's why... And you're seeing this play out, right? Yeah. And this diagram. That's why, you know, it's been more than 10 years. I'm not married. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to take a jump into something. Good. Like that. Good. That's great. So. You know, there's a saying from the jumping from the frying pan to the fire. Or yes. Something like that. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm so grateful for this class. And I love that book and telling the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And I just think... Every one of us can read this book because mm. it has it's helping me a lot, and I've been sharing with other people. I just can't keep quiet. Yeah, yeah. And it's helping us all, mm. you know. And it's helping me tell others be a little bit more truthful and telling them with love, and at the same time that I'm able to tell my weaknesses to mm. them, but asking them not to criticize me. And so we're helping each other. Mm. And I'm like, if all of us could read this, we can help us somehow. And this is, that was, excuse me, I read the whole book. That was the being assertive, assertive, the ways you can say things instead of keeping your anger. It's it's helping. I think that's the best lesson in the whole Stephen is the assertive lesson. This one, I think, is a waste. That's okay. It's just It's a little sterile. But no, I, I hope this diagram helps because you've probably seen it in your own life and then you see it with people in your family and your friends and even your your care receiver. You're going to see that they're going to avoid the problem. They're going to attempt to handle it alone. They're going to work hard at inadequate solutions. And as a result, they're going to go back to this equilibrium and they're going to be tipped one way or the other. As you can see, the triangle is flipped over. And so really they can tip one way or the other. They can either go to the path of greater wholeness or path of greater brokenness. But as a student's minister, understand, you can't go to them and say, I know how you feel. I've been there. Right. I've done it. But you're not supposed, you're supposed to listen to them. Yeah, listen. And if they... And, Gradually, I guess, as you yeah, as you build a relationship, it's okay if you said, you know what, I, yeah, I've been down. I, I went through a divorce too. Yeah, and yeah, and then they may ask you, well, how did you deal with it? And then you could share. Yeah, I went down the path of greater brokenness first, and yeah. and now I'm I'm going through the path of greater wholeness. Yeah, and then you know? after I went through the path of brokenness, I went back through it and did it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it does help. Yeah, in personal examples, yeah, but I think knows it's what, God knows what uses. He says, mm-hmm. and I always remember there was one sermon, service in which you said something that I don't know. If you remember when you you went to the show was in Las Vegas and this magician, yes. yeah, yeah, and you were talking oh, about <laughs> yeah, yeah. how you Pen wanted to say something yeah. 
but you were praying throughout the whole show, you know, what to say and all that, but when it came time to, because he will be there to talk to others and take pictures, mm-hmm. I remember that. Wow, wow that's a couple of years <laughs> and ago. And you said, you said that um, you couldn't do it for some reason, and you almost were mad at yourself. A little bit for not being able to, but you were praying, and I think that's one, one, something that's so important because sometimes we want we're so impatient and want to say and do, but then the prayer is so powerful that he uses others, like you say, Mm -hmm. you saw later on 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 the internet Mm -hmm. that somebody else had given him a Bible that day Mm -hmm. and that he was thanking that person Mm -hmm. or something like Mm -hmm. that, and that's how I'm seeing things because. I tell you about my sister that's going through so many hard things. I'm, I'm seeing like right now so many beautiful things coming out of this horrible crisis in her life. Mm-hmm. Like she kept saying over and over, you know, but I don't have faith. And I will just be, I want to say something else that it will come up with. Just pray for faith. Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and things like that. And, and, and praying for her. And she said, but I want to talk to my husband and talk to him about God because I think he needs God. And I said, just, he, God will let you t- speak when, when it's time. If not, he might use somebody else. So mm-hmm. she's been doing this. And then she said, and I, I said, let's pray. And she said, you pray because I, I really don't know how to pray. Well, anyway, it's been a few months. Mm-hmm. And last week, and I said, do you want to pray? And she said, okay. And she read to me some some something from a book called Is she a Christian? Prayer, yeah, mm-hmm. prayers for your husband or something like that. Mm-hmm. The powerful, the power of prayer for, of the praying wife. Mm-hmm. She read that to me first, um, and then I said, "You want to pray?" She said, "Yes." And she came up with this beautiful prayer that she's saying, oh. "Please, um, God, you know, I thank you for what you're showing me, and I know that." It might be me who you want to change first, and she said, and I, I want you to take that, uh, that I want to control everything, and and she's telling me all these great things that I mm-hmm. want to hear, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes we look patient, and in the midst of this, we want to say, but I told you not to mm-hmm. do this, but I, can't, I, I try to hold it. Mm-hmm. and pray and let God work on it and he is he's mm-hmm. doing amazing things and her husband said that uh, who is not a Christian that he he's already listened to a couple of um, of TV shows and Joyce Mayer Joyce Meyer he told my sister that and I oh, said wow. that is a great thing it might seem little but it's it's the beginning of something great. That's great. Yeah. That's so encouraging. You can Good. see how God is working one mm-hmm. way or the other, and He's using other people for the husband and, and mm-hmm. many people for my sister Good. here and there. Good. And, you know, and, and but it only that. takes great. little things to change somebody. And you're mm-hmm. right. You were like right in the middle of the crisis, and, right. and she is getting fed from different Christians and, mm-hmm. and, and it's going this direction. <laughs> it's that pause, like I said, right before they hit that fork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, don't, you don't have to be, when you're acting here, you're not down to the complete person, but it can be something. Uh, I've had people come back to me years later and say, well, you have no idea what a monumental impact you had on my life mm-hmm. when you said X. And I don't even remember saying X, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was probably something, a, a minor word of encouragement or something like that. But it was up here, something small, 
and was it all oh, this master plan of bread that I was going to say this one phrase and it was going to just totally change your life? Mm-hmm. No. no. And you don't no, realize the small influence. And I don't like the diagram. I think that instead of saying fork in the road, listening and supportive, I would put next to the fork in the road because I see I see that as our road. If you're, you're right. listening... You It'd be nice if they just added that, right? Because <laughs> yeah, they did say it in in um, in my leadership manual. They said right at that pause is when we need to. Listen. So you should be avoid the problem, acknowledge the problem, or what, is, what else you said, Brent? Uh, up here, it's really listen and uh, show empathy and, and support. And I have a very good friend that on her Facebook. I'm not a Christian. Da 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 da. Well. Uh, Two years later, she is a Christian mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And little things that were said at the right time and stuff just got her thinking. And she goes, well, you know, the thing that I hated most about uh, Christianity is I have these people in there so pushy. Mm-hmm. They rammed their faith down my throat. She mm-hmm. says, you never once have done that. Mm-hmm. She Amen. says, you've talked about how your faith has supported you when you went through similar challenges that I'm facing now. And it meant so much more because you weren't directing it at me. Mm-hmm. But I thought about it and slowly uh, you suggested mm-hmm. that, you know, good thing to do is just read the Bible. A lot of people think they know what Christianity is, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure anybody really knows truly what Christianity is. It's a personal walk with God mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and your needs is not somebody else's needs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good example of, of how to properly help someone. Don't shove it down their throat. <laughs> just uh, love them and listen and show them Christ through your love. Well, let's look at the other side, the path of greater wholeness. First off, we see that the person acknowledges their need to change. Uh, At first, it could bring up some strong feelings of fear or discouragement or even anger at oneself that seems to only make things worse. Um, They most often find encouragement from other people. And we've been talking about that. So these these people acknowledge the problem and need to change. But as they do that, they approach fear. I mean, there's going to be some discouragement and anger. Because they're still coping. I, they're still... I actually see those flipped. What do you mean? Um, I don't see people acknowledging a problem and the need to change until usually they have, I think, gone down this path quite a ways whether they've turned to others, other organizations, or stuff like that. Um, I know when I went through uh, some therapy for the loss of uh, two people very close to me that I was having great difficulty dealing with. Um, I had already turned to others and spent a lot of time really looking at myself and stuff before I got to acknowledging what the true problem was, Mm -hmm. what was the true thing that was preventing me from accepting it and and Mm -hmm. doing it. I do agree that once you've acknowledged it, you, I see that part fitting on both sides. Okay, yeah. 
and maybe that too kind of goes into the attempt of tried and true solution um, but yeah I hear you well let's look at the next one to turn to others for assistance of course this is kind of self-explanatory but um, they discover a new way to deal with the threat and challenge of the crisis they find a new set of tools that work better at solving the problem at hand and uh, anyway this is where they would turn to others they would actively say okay this is how I can receive help um, as Flory was talking about earlier That's, it's common sense there you know I really did not even turn to uh, oh, someone my came boss to you. for uh, assistance huh. I'm the kind of person who would not tell you uh, uh, my mm-hmm. personal life mm-hmm. uh, somebody has to try it for me mm-hmm. but I think uh, she saw she, was already she saw life, my right? uh, uh, maybe it was affecting my work or my uh, facial expression was sad or something so, and one day said to me you know let me talk to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and then uh, uh, as she was talking to me I cried and cried oh. and cried yeah. and so uh, there, I did not ask her she she just approached me. Mm. I can see that uh, you're unhappy. <laughs> wow. And, yeah, this lady, um, she is really a Christian lady. Even now, she's very active in her church. Mm. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So she reached out to you. Yeah. yeah. Good. God gave her to me. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was praying for me. Right? She got you right <laughs> yes. at that fork, right at the fork of the road, and helped you to acknowledge the problem, and helps you to see your need to, for others' assistance. And finally, people begin to discover new ways of living and thinking, as I was talking about. They discover a new way to deal with the threat and challenge of the crisis. An example would be a, a career man who finds more life in his kids or widow, uh, who had a dream of retirement um, and travel needs to find new sources for her satisfaction and fulfillment. So those two examples I think about where a career man who was so focused on his job and then he discovered new ways of living by saying, you know what, I've neglected my friend, my, my kids. I've, neglect, I've neglected my wife. And he finds new life and just when he loses his job, he says, wow, I realize how I've neglected my family. I need to spend more time with them as I'm you know, still looking for another job. I need to remember that when I get into my next job. Another example could be a widow, as I said, who was dreaming of retirement and travel plans with her spouse. And then she loses her spouse and she ends up discovering new ways uh, that satisfy her or that give her fulfillment, um, whether it be you know going into a career that she loves and that she's passionate about or whatever it may be. Uh, so this is where people discover new ways of living or thinking, and those were examples. And as a result of that, the new equilibrium as well as growth happens where um, they regain their equilibrium. They go back to the top of the diagram, and things are steady. You know, things are okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, I want to yeah. ask you a question. I hope this doesn't uh, upset the apple cart. Yeah. I'm just thinking big picture philosophically. Uh-huh. I, I love this. Yeah. Uh, this can, can a non-Christian or can the people in the world experience the same level of equilibrium and growth that a believer can? I don't think so. Uh, it seems like, in some ways, the principles here would be true, yeah. also for non-Christians. But it seems like it, it can't hold no. comparison. There's no way because they don't have their foundation because, in Christ. We're talking about yeah. the wholeness that comes from knowing you're completely forgiven and completely mm-hmm. loved and 
that God is sovereign and right. in control of every single circumstance. That that brings a level of growth and healing that the world can't know. Mm-hmm. But it seems like in some ways these principles on a secular level, mm-hmm. so to speak, could be they're probably applied by people every day. Oh, I'm sure. Or well, think about the secular counselors. Yeah, I bet they're saying the same thing. I bet they're saying you need, you should have friendships with other people and, so and turn to others for help. Self help stuff right. by Oprah or whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has has some of this, mm-hmm. but it but it's missing the Lord. Right. Yeah. And I heard that on the radio that those people they seem good on the outside and peaceful and you know they want good for the world. That they have such an emptiness in their heart because they don't know where they're going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They say, "Okay, I'll be good, um, but I'm, I'm I don't really believe in God, but I'll do good for the next generation on Earth." But just in case there's a, there's a God, I'm, I'm going to behave the best way. Mm-hmm. So they don't know where they're going. That's why they have their emptiness. That's mm-hmm. what yeah. So, right. I see God more. So as it the looks, it's like a, an act almost. Hmm. Right. To cover right. their yeah. emptiness. Right. Because they're always going to be looking for love in all the wrong places if they, they don't have God. Yep. Yep. They are. They are. Yep. Yep. I mean, they'll 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 be taught discover new ways of thinking, and you know, I'm just thinking I can only imagine a secular counselor saying, just reinvent yourself. Yeah. Find a hobby. Do these things. And, and they preach that, but at the same time, I think God is right before the fork in the road. Is yeah. where hmm. it it's not that they can't feel euphoria and. And things can't line up and go right for them. But where, to me, where God plays in my life is I do things for His glory. Um, and I count on Him in, in times of struggle and strife and put things in His hands. Mm-hmm. And no matter how awful the things get, um, it's what gets me through it. Mm-hmm. It's what got me Absolutely. through cancer. It's what's getting me through the fun I'm having with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's what got me through 21 layoffs in five years at work. Mm-hmm. Yes, America. I mean, yeah. I, I knew people that were basket cases that could not work. And it was they were dependent on themselves. Mm-hmm. And they weren't. They didn't have a Christ-centered life. They had, well, this is my career. And when I lost my job, they just went. Yeah. They crashed and burned. Mm -hmm. To them, it was the end of the world. They had nowhere to turn. Mm -hmm. And so, the the loss was a hundred times worse because they had no fallback position at all. They would have nobody to relate to or count. So I, I agree with what you say. Temporarily, I think the chart is correct, but long-term, without Christ, you, you, you really can't cope with it. Right. Well, and I think one of the beautiful things, potentially, as Stephen's ministers, mm-hmm. is that we can be positioned at a point in a person's life to actually introduce them to Christ or point mm-hmm. them to the one who brings lasting change. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows how many times a person may have cycled right. through before we meet them. Right. And, uh, and and we have the truth. And mm-hmm. we, we know the one who brings life. So. That's right. Amen.
And that's why we start out with the salt, uh, or not the salt and light, the sand, the house built on sand and, and rock. Because the foundation's on rock. The goal is to get them on rock. But so many people try to build their house on sand. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Alan. Mm-hmm. The non-believer is going to be building their house on sand all the time and saying, why isn't this working? <laughs> and it's like, well, you need to build it on rock. <laughs> yeah. You know, sir, I find myself justifying sometimes uh, other people's faith. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, there's only one God. They have, they have their God. It's, it's, I think, the same God as my God. They have their Bible, and so uh, um, it, uh, sometimes I meditate on that. And uh, you, you know, the, the good people, well, you know, they believe in their God, and, and they're their God. fine, they you know. Their God, yes. And uh, so maybe it's okay <laughs> if they don't believe in Jesus, but. Maybe it's okay, and maybe um, um, like the Muslims, who's their uh, uh, who's that? Their Allah. Allah. Yeah. Allah is like and Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, the equi- Muhammad is like the equivalent Jesus to that, right. or so. You know, I I really find myself thinking about that, and then justifying. Justifying their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well. Y- you know. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I do want to say we we need to move forward here. But before okay. we do that, let me address let me address what you said. Um, I understand you know your dilemma where you see good people. Mm-hmm. I, I have an example. My brother has a really close friend who is in his wedding, who lives his life by by um, the book of of. Uh, or the the Quran, I couldn't think of the word. He lives his life by the Quran, and he's a good man, upstanding individual. Very, he he bases his life on strong morals. He prays five times a day. You know, he does a pilgrimage. He ties to his uh, mosque. Just a really good man. So my brother kind of said the same thing. He said, "Well, well, you know, he's a good man. Why isn't he going to heaven?" And I said, "Well, think about what he lives his life on. You know, he's he's doing works. It's, it's all about what he's doing and being committed." And that's a great thing. However, you know, that's not what life is about. Life is about grace. And that's why we believe in Christ, because that's the essential difference with Christianity from all other religions is grace. Because no other religion preaches what we preach. No other religion says that it's already been done for you. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to do this. You don't have to be good. I mean, yeah, you want to be good. <laughs> um, but but the point is is that Christ is good for you, and because of that, you want to do it. You want to be good. You're changed by that. Mu- you know, Muslims don't preach that. They preach you got to pray five times a day. You got to face uh, Jerusalem. You got to do these things. Uh, Jews are the same way. They say you've got to follow the Torah, the law. Um, Mormons are the same way. They say you can be your god of your own planet. So as you really begin to study the religions, you, you can pick a, pick it apart and say, oh, there's no grace here. There's no foundation. You know, there's no Christ. Christianity is the only one that's grace, right? Christianity is the only one that promotes grace. Mm-hmm. Only that's the difference. That's the one major difference. Because there's some religions that say, well, there there was a god who became man. You know, there's some religions that say, um, you know, that that um, what would be another example? That, that we believe in. That there's a tr- transcendent God who created the, the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some religions that say that, but no religion says what Christianity says about Jesus. That He paid the pi- price for you. That He died on the cross for you. 
You know, most of the other ones are about man working to pay for his own. Yes. Sin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In some shape or form. And so, of course, these people that you're talking about are going to be good in society. You're going to see that they're upstanding people. They're committed to their religion. But they really don't have that foundation because they don't know that it's been done for them because all their lives they're working. They're working to please God. They're working to obey Him. You know, and it's all about that and not about Christ. If that makes sense. Yeah. Where we should be working, obviously. If we don't get a pass, I'm not saying that, but uh, but we should have a delight. Yeah, exactly. We're working because we're freed to do it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. Does that help you? Yeah, yeah. it helps. Okay. Yes. But just think about grace. That's the one distinguishing factor here from Christianity and all other religions is grace. Thanks. Yeah, let's look at page 158. Um, how Stephen ministers care for people in crisis. As Brent said earlier, the importance of timing. We talk about this every week. It's a theme of Stephen ministry. But the sooner you can start caring for the person the greater chance they'll have to use that energy constructively. They'll have to be able to go to the path of greater wholeness. The second part of Stephen Minister's how they can care is to take the crisis seriously. Uh, Events affect people differently, as we said earlier. Even if you think the care receiver is overreacting, you still need to take their crisis serious. So if you are paired up with someone, I'm probably not going to pair you up with somebody who lost their wallet, but if you did, you, know, <laughs> you may think this is ridiculous. We'll be talking. <laughs> yeah, you might be thinking this is a ridiculous crisis, but to them it's the end of the world. So you want to make it serious. <laughs> you want to take it seriously. And the third would be be consistent. Um, somebody come and ask for Stephen Minister? <laughs> no. <laughs> the third is to be consistent. They may believe they, they can't count on anything anymore. Uh, by keeping your promises and always showing up on time, you'll provide an oasis of dependability in the midst of an unstable desert. So just be consistent. If you're going to show up, show up. If you're going to give them a call, call them at the time you told them you were going to call them. People just are looking for consistency. Consistency. The, the fourth here is to help the care receiver stay in crucible. And what I mean by that is often people want to find the easiest and least painful way out of the crisis. But you can encourage your care receiver to reject quick fixes, to even though that means more time and the crucible of change. Assuring them you'll stay with them through it is powerful. So if somebody is going through it and you know they just need more time mm-hmm. to, to mourn, then let them stay in the crucible you know, and tell them it's okay. But assure them that you're going to be with them. So if you're paired up with somebody and you know it's going to take a year or two and you're planning on committing your life to them for a year or two, then tell them, I'm going to be with you as long as this takes. You know, uh, So just assure them that uh, they that you're going to be there. Now, when you become Stephen Minister and you give us, uh, of course, our care, our care receivers, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, suppose you give us a care receiver and you just, uh, like they're going through a, a problem that you really, can you say, listen, no, I'd rather not do that one. Mm-hmm. Can you... I'd rather not be paired up with yeah, that person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's happened three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. People have said, yeah, I don't think. And, and at the end of it, we'll give you a list of things, of situations that you would prefer to be paired up with. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody's going through unemployment or cancer, then you would mm-hmm. check that box and say, I can be paired up with that, or I would prefer not to be. Yeah. And so. do you have a way of sort of guessing or ascertaining 
how long the crucible will be oh, for, oh. A, for a particular situation? Or, I mean, no one can know for sure. Yeah, I'd say about half the time I, we could guess. Mm-hmm. About half the time. Yeah, maybe a little more than that. But we asked Stephen Ministers to commit two years, if you can. Two, two years? Yeah, two years. <coughs> Not necessarily with that person, but just with the ministry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, out of all, I will say, out of all the relationships, they've only lasted a year or less. Actually, there's one that's still going on, but it is, chur- is turned from a Stephen ministry to a mentoring relationship, and so that that Stephen minister actually requested that that happen um, because they chose to still be in this person's life and invest. But the majority of times, it's a year or less. If I remember part of this ongoing supervision classes is that you're helping us determine basically when we're done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in fact there's a whole lesson on when and how to close a relationship. Okay. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. The the fifth part here is to be a triangle tipper. What I mean by that is how much of a push is it going to take to make it fall over? Not much. So usually your supportive, encouraging presence, uh, presence and well-timed nudge will be enough to trip the triangle or to tip the triangle toward greater wholeness. Is that so, this triangle back here? Yeah, the disequilibrium, uh, where it's you can see where it can be tipped one way or the other. Um, so you can be a triangle tipper. And what I mean by that is the goal here is obviously the path of greater wholeness. Mm-hmm. But you could also, as a Stephen minister, you could lead them into the path of greater brokenness. If you're not careful, so um, yeah, you could be too pushy. The six is to remain process oriented. We've talked about that, where you can't force the person to change, but you can provide the supportive, encouraging atmosphere within which they find it possible to choose the path toward greater wholeness. And we've talked about looking at uh, process oriented goals instead of just doing it. And then finally, and most importantly, is to pray with people in crisis. If they're willing, include a prayer. Sometimes they may not be willing. Most of the time they're going to be willing. I would say the people who are going to pair you up, they're going to be 100% willing. Um, Because most of the people here go to UPC. Uh, We have had people who have just started coming to the church that we pair. But even them, they're they're willing to be prayed for. Have you had people come to know the Lord? Close, close. There was one in particular, but it still hasn't happened. That we know of. I mean, we. It's hard to say. It's hard to say if they are or not. But generally, they're already believers. Generally, they're already believers. They're members of UPC or regular attenders. Yeah, be, for me, I think it'd be rather difficult. Well, I don't know. I, I do this. I, I do it all the time. I guess I minister to people that that are not Christian mm-hmm. or say they're Christian. Mm-hmm. Say, oh yeah, I'm Christian. I go to church. Mm-hmm. I believe in God. And I say, yeah, Satan mm-hmm. does too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know how I would be to be a student minister to somebody who's not a Christian. Hmm. I guess it would be the same. Hmm. Well, it it's actually would be good because you could share the gospel. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so this is how Stephen ministers can care for people in crisis. I don't know if we're going to get to T10 today, and that's okay. Um, what I'd like to do is go to number five, the crisis script, and just so we can make sure we, we've got this lesson under our belt. On focus note two, I'm going to read the description and then I need two people to read the skit. Um, I guess I'll be Lou. Do you want to be Lou? Okay, who who will be the caregiver? Anybody want to be the caregiver? 
Okay. All right, Janine. So let me read the description and then we'll we'll get through the skit. Lou joked about his experience in the magnetic resonance imagining scanner. <laughs> it was like crawling into a culvert and having someone throw a chainsaw in after you. The scanner revealed a herniated disc in his spine and Lou wasn't making jokes about his worsening pain. Conservative treatment regimens had failed one by one, leaving surgery as his only recourse. You are already aware that the financial implications are worrying him, both because he does not have adequate medical insurance and because he will lose significant income from his work as a self-employed small contractor. All right, start. Good morning, Lou. How are you doing this morning? Oh, all right, I guess. How did you sleep last night? Oh, about as well as could be expected. What have you been thinking about this morning? Boy, you're full of questions, aren't you, this morning? <laughs> how are you doing? How did you sleep? What are you thinking about? I suppose the next will be, how's your mother? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the answer to how are you doing is not so well, huh? Oh, well, what do you expect? I'm flat on my back. They're talking uh, the, about keeping me in here at least three more weeks, uh, at least three more days, and, and I know... Uh, I don't know how many hundred dollars it's going to cost. Um, when I get home, the doctor says I can't work for four weeks, maybe more. I have no idea what's going to happen to me or my family or my business. I remember you saying that your medical insurance doesn't cover your hospital stay. I can see how that could leave you with these worries. I should have never had this operation. I should have waited until I had the money put away. Lou, the way your legs were bothering you, I don't see how you could have walked, much less worked. In two days, the way things were going, you had been flat on your back whether you had the operation or not. Yeah, I was pretty bad. I couldn't drive the truck anymore. I've got to keep remembering that. Have you thought any further about applying for general assistance from the social services agencies? Look, I told you how I feel about welfare. Uh, we'll get by somehow. I just can't see myself going begging for a handout. Besides, two vehicles and a house, I'm sure I wouldn't qualify. Well, general assistance isn't exactly welfare, Lou. True, it is a government program, but it's more like insurance to get people by in a pinch. What I would suggest, and if you like, I would be glad to help with this, is that you talk to the social services department in the hospital. You mean welfare keeps an office right here in the hospital? No, this is part of the hospital staff. They know the kinds of situations that people are in, and they know what all the resources are. That's their job. You've been paying into the public resources, Kitty, if you will, all your working life. This is time to draw on that if you can bring yourself to do it, I understand it's difficult to think about assistance, especially since you're employed. You don't even work for anybody else. You work for yourself. Listen, exploring your options is not the same thing as taking welfare. What you will think about calling the social services person or have me ask the social services person to stop in and visit you. I guess it wouldn't hurt to check it out. Okay. You can find out from me if there is such a person here anyway. Start with that, and then we'll get in touch with him. All right. I'll do that immediately. 
If I find out anything very specific before I leave the hospital, I'll stop back and let you know. Good. Is there anything else you need? Snack food? Um, do you have something to read? Yeah, I'd like to have a bottle of milk. No, everything's fine. Chocolate. Yeah, I need some chocolate. No, everything's fine. I'd just like to talk to the social services person. <laughs> they exchange goodbyes and the caregiver leaves. Great. So I have a few questions that we'll discuss and then we'll be finished with this lesson. What is Lou's crisis? What is threatening him? Financial. What's that? Financial. Financial? Okay. What else? And his health problems. Yeah, he's in the hospital, surgery. And Mm -hmm. fear of how will he survive and provide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But see, he's always been in control. Mm Mm-hmm. And now he's forced to, to not, not be, be in control. control. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. That's, that's a good. real challenge. Yeah, even yeah, receiving general assistance threatens his self esteem. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and just a general thing when it was going through um, that I was kind of thinking probably should have been said. It's a lot of times it's the not forcing. And, mm-hmm. and stuff where instead of saying, oh, you need to do this, this could help bail you out and all that, but just say, uh, don't you think you could just look at this as an option and listen to what they have to say? Nobody's telling you you have to do this, but maybe this is part of a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just check it out. Yeah. See, yeah, that would be. Yeah. And, and that would be my next question, or uh, how did the Stephen minister, or what did the Stephen minister do to tip loose triangle? And that's what they could have done. Yeah, I yeah. I think that would work mm-hmm. a little bit better. Yeah. Because yeah, or what of, other kinds of help? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's just to uh, mm-hmm. and it's not just this situation, but mm-hmm. in a lot of them, it's say, well, uh, look at your options. Why don't mm-hmm. you just look at this and see if any of this makes sense? Mm-hmm. It may give you an idea for something. Yeah, else. you know, and the one thing we're not told here, at least I don't think you set it up, is that we don't know. Whether this is an on how well the Stevens minister knows right. the care receiver, right. we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like if if they've been meeting for a long time, <coughs> right? They, this could have been a little bit of bantering back and forth in a jovial way to say, yeah, um, yeah, you know, well, how do I? How do you think I feel? Or whatever, <laughs> you know, it could have been. But if it's the very first meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's a little bit tense. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing it brings to my mind is resources. And it's kind of like you want to help, but you don't know what resources are available. And, yeah. and, and I will give you that. <laughs> I've looked through some of the resource guides, but, yeah, yeah. but there, it's amazing the number of things that you can go through that are ex- like in uh, things I've dealt with in my life with some of my family members where you go, well, there is nobody to turn to. There is no real support other than God and the church and a few other mm-hmm. things. But like financial support, Things involving insurance, there isn't a lot of. Yeah, I heard there's a lost wallet support society. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of some a lot bigger than. Uh, well, Brad, to your point, um, yeah. one of the questions I was going to ask is, what other kinds of care might the Stephen minister provide for him? And to Brent's point, let me let me add to this. It says Lou may need help following through with contacting the hospital social services representative. 
And so you could check with Lou to see if he has followed through and continue to help him remain in the crucible. So that's something you could do is to help follow up yourself. And I, and we're going to be giving you a list of resources so that you have uh, yeah, in your... I read yeah, maybe I already did. Uh, supervision every other week. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's every three weeks, now, when do you, just depending when do you on the need. When do you right now? It's Monday night. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk <laughs> about know. that at the end. We'll have yeah. to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. When I start, and God has something for me, start working. I don't know when Monday night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. The next question is, what, where is Lou in the course of this crisis? You know, if you look back at the well, he's right diagram. The right now. He's right in the crucible. In this so would he be at the fork in the road? Um, that's really, that's actually the answer. <laughs> yeah, the answer is that he's in the fork in the road with the question of whether to pursue general assistance. Okay. Lou is choosing between trying to avoid an important problem and facing it squarely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the therapy stuff I've been through, they say he was in the pity party. The pity party. Yeah. Maybe. He's not He's not really wanting to listen. <laughs> yeah. He's firmly in the middle of disequilibrium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wants help, but he doesn't want help. Yeah. He his pride is preventing him. Is he? Is that the one yeah. He's worrying too much. No, I I think I think Things you're right right on the the money with pride. Mm-hmm. His issue is pride. Pride. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that you've got to help him get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the caregiver's answer where, um, um, you know. Exploring your option is not the same thing as mm-hmm. taking welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a really good answer. That oh, was good. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that was my next question. What did the Stephen minister do to tip loose triangle? And that was one of the answers. <clears throat> when you also said the other one, Brent, they offered to help Lou make contact with the hospital social services person. Um, and they even brought up the, the question of general assistance again. So that was those were some things that the Stephen minister did. To help the triangle. Small change uh, can have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And finally, um, going back to this fourth question, what other kinds of care might the Stephen minister provide for Lou? We said he could have helped through with contacting the social services rep uh, and even check back with Lou to see if he did that. Um, what, what, what's another one that we're missing here that he could have done? Pray. He could have prayed with Yes. And he could list and help him recognize, acknowledge, and express his feelings. You know, how, how are you feeling? And if he says, I'm feeling prideful, <laughs> I doubt he will. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I like the, the follow-up, not only from the, the standpoint, well, did you do this, but how did it go and the feeling part I think would be enormous at that time well what did you learn about it what was positive what was negative and just let him kind of talk about it out because I think part of his problem is everything's inside he's totally in control inside and the more he can get it out and where it's on the table and not just held inside, the better chance he has of making the shift. Mm-hmm. Good. 
Well, let me close with this story, and uh, we'll just, for T10, we'll have to get to next time, and we may have to rearrange our... I don't know if we'll do four... I don't think we'll be able to get through four lessons next time. I don't know, but I'm okay staying later, but I don't know. An extra week. No, no, like if it's half an hour more? Well, the service ends at 10 minutes, so... Yeah, I want to be cautious. It's okay. We'll make up. We'll make up for it. We, I just wanted you all. I know we had a lot to discuss today, and that's important. So 11, 12, and 13 will be ready for Well, let's, we're actually going to do 10, 11, and 12. Well, we are having uh, lunch uh, 13, next uh, meeting, so we can extend and extend and extend. Yeah. Maybe uh, until 2, two yeah. something. But 10 probably pretty short. Do you want to try? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fairly short. But we'll, um, so 10, 11, and 12 is what we're going to do. Right? Yeah, 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, we'll just we'll just start with that next time. Um, let me close with a story to kind of leave us here for the next two weeks with the story of encouragement with Stephen Ministry. We had a guy who, or we have a guy, a Stephen Minister now, who was paired up with an incredible situation. I've never actually dealt with this in my ministry years. But the guy, and, and John Carricker mentioned it two weeks ago, the guy had brain cancer. He had lost his wife, or his wife divorced him. And he had two kids and he lost his job. So he had three situations that were just life-changing, life-threatening, really. Um, and so I, I told the Stephen minister, I said, look, this is a very unique and difficult situation. And he was fairly new to the church. We didn't know of his belief even. We didn't know if he was a believer or not. But he was consistently coming to UPC for about six weeks. I think Alan actually knows who he is, but but um, but we paired. Well, I asked the guy, the Stephen minister, I said, "All right, here's the situation. Are you prepared to meet with him? Are you okay?" And he said, "Yeah, I want to do it." And so, as the time went on, um, it was really an incredible relationship because one thing that helps us pastors is Stephen ministers and and life group leaders. And the way I say that is, he did a far more effective job in ministering to this guy than I would have. And I explain that by saying this. I went to visit this guy in the hospital a few times as much as I could. I followed up with him. But this Stephen minister was there every week in this guy's life. And he actually was the caregiver and this guy was Lou in this situation because he had some medical issues and the guy would always offer him medical assistance and saying, have you thought about contacting this group or this agency to help you? And he was always following up with them and trying to help. And the guy sometimes would just not remember or he would forget because he had a brain tumor. So he would forget. And so the Stephen minister would would get frustrated because he says, I don't think the guy's following up and he needs to be doing this to take care of himself and his family, but he's not. But the Stephen minister still pressed on and he still loved him and he was patient and he persevered. And... It ended up, the guy ended up dying. He, 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 was, he, he basically, the tumor got the best of him and he died about nine months ago. Well, this was right around, actually it was in June, because I had family vacation and it happened right when I went on the beach, and, or to the beach. And his family asked me if I could you know, help out and I said, I would love to, but I can do it when I get back um, on the trip. But I also have some recommendations of people that could do it as well. And they were... You know, open doing that, and they ended up having a, a great funeral service for him. But they didn't want to wait on me to get back. It was just a couple of days, and they just said we want to go ahead and move forward so we can go back home. This was his family and uh, his parents. But the Stephen minister was there at the funeral. He went there, 
and he gave. He ended up going up and he spoke uh, to the friends and family at the funeral, and he shared his experience with the care receiver that he had. And he was able to talk about how the care receiver wrestled with his faith and and ended up saying, "I believe in Jesus." And it was just a really powerful moment. And I thought, you know, this this what, is, he, was he a Christian before that? I think he was. I think yeah. he was. Um, but it was just neat because he was able to talk to him about his faith, the Stephen minister was. And not only that, but he was able to share the experiences that you know he went through with this guy. Because our, the Stephen minister was with him every week for nine months. Even more than his family. But that's breaking confidentiality. It wasn't breaking confidentiality. He didn't say I was a Stephen minister. I don't think he said that at the funeral, but he said I was with I was with the care receiver for nine months. Mm-hmm. He didn't say care receiver; he said the guy's name. Obviously, I was a, yeah, and I got to walk through with him uh, through this crisis, and it was just to me it was powerful because that's just what this ministry is all about, and I thought that is a profound um, example. And we may I may I'm going to try to get him to come in and share it with you so it's you can John hear character. it firsthand from him. It's not John Character; it's Bob Hagee. You know Bob, but I'll try to get Bob in here to share it with you because it's an incredible story. But to me, that's what Stephen Minister is all about. And yeah, I see cancer that way anyway because it doesn't matter if you go through cancer surgery and you get it. It really is a financial impact. It's an impact on their family. It's it's got far reaching because typically if you have cancer surgery, it's major and you're out. Mm-hmm. For weeks or even months, mm-hmm. more likely months. Mm-hmm. And so, what you're alluding to was probably a little bit more of the extreme, but all the areas, I think it comes into that. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm going to ask to deal with somebody with cancer yeah. is I've done it <laughs> a few times now from many different aspects and. Everyone's different, but at the same time, it's it's a I think going to be a little bit easier for me to deal with somebody that's going through it because there's going to be a lot of commonality in parts. It may only be sixty percent of what I went through, but at least I've got sixty percent of it that I can really relate yeah. internally. Yeah, yeah. But this Bob, Stephen Messerman, um, what was really neat was. He was concerned about this this care receiver's kids because the care receiver's kids was in kind of a difficult home situation, um, and he just didn't know if they, the kids would ever come back to church because this guy's spouse who left him, his wife who left him and took the kids, she just wasn't involved in church. So he was really, really worried about the kids. Well, just so just so you know, the wife contacted Bob and said, "Hey, I appreciate all that you did." And they had a they had a pretty good relationship, and he is in communication with her now, and he's able to meet with the kids once a month, wow. and share with them Bible stories and all that, because he just said that's my heart. Uh, but it just gives me chills, you know, because that's that's what this ministry is about. But he is still being a deceiving minister to this man by helping out the kids. Yeah, yeah. Because I went through the same thing. I went through cancer. Loss of a wife and a job all at the same time within a year's time. Wow! And it just it just blew me over. Wow! But God, God brought me to the whole thing. Mm. Mm. 
Well, let me close this prayer. I just wanted to end with that that's a powerful story. Lord, we thank you for this ministry, and we see that your hand is upon it, and that you are at work. And it is so encouraging to hear about stories like Bob and his care receiver, and how he was able to care for this care receiver who was going through not one crisis, but three crises uh, of losing his his spouse um, to, through a divorce, of losing his job, and even having brain cancer. And I thank you that he was able to walk alongside of this gentleman for nine months, even share with him the faith of Jesus, and at his funeral even speak. Uh, to me, that's just so powerful. And he just did such an effective job in ministering to his care receiver. And I thank you for all of my friends here who are going through this in-depth training and how you have placed upon their hearts to really care for those who are going through difficult situations. And Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us the next two weeks as we have some time off, time with our friends and family. I pray for those that are traveling that you'll keep us safe on the road or in the air and bring us back here safely as we come come before you again on January 8th and together and talk about uh, more issues that we're going to be facing in caring for care receivers. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're not going to do it